Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org OC. Psalm 46, verse 1. And I want to use this couple verses, verse 1, 2, and uh, 1 to 3. And I want to use it. I'm not going to preach for long, but I'm just going to jump straight in it. We've been looking at, uh, we've been talking about the power of perspective, haven't we? The last couple of weeks, we, we've been doing, I'm going to stand right here because the cross is giving me just a little bit of shade. That feels good right there. Um, we've been looking at perspective. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the lenses that we look through. Remember that, how there's, there's different lenses that we view things through and how the enemy brings a lie. And when he brings a lie to us, he doesn't just tell us a lie, he sells us a lie. And anything sold means it costs you something. So any lie that the enemy sells you always costs you the truth. And how if we receive that lie, believe it, it becomes, that lie gets written on the lens of our life. So it becomes this, this way in which we view everything filtered through a lie. And we, we talked about that. Then last week we talked about um, the steps to see. Understanding that we're body, soul and spirit and that there are particular steps we can take in order to tackle challenges that come across our life. And we began to look at this story in, in Second Kings, where Elisha and his servant were facing a battle. And the servant, we won't read it for sake of time, but if you're just joining with us, I want to just summarize it for, so you can jump on board. Um, the servant, they're facing this battle and, and the servant runs out in the morning, the Bible says, and the servant looked out and he saw all of these, these uh, army, this military that were coming against them. And he runs back and he's freaking out and he tells Elisha and he's like, it says that he, he was in full of fear and he's like, Elisha, bro, I mean, we're, we're in trouble. And Elisha, who was a prophet, a man of God, who had seen multiple miracles, multiple breakthroughs, he prays this prayer in that moment that we touched on it last week, but it's so interesting that Elisha, who had seen God do miraculous things, he didn't pray that the battle would stop. He didn't pray that the army would be, I mean, if I was, you know, we said it last week, if I was Elisha, I would pray, God, smoke them all. Like, let's get this thing done. Elisha didn't pray that. Elisha prayed this prayer and he prayed over his servant and he said, Lord, help him to see. Open his eyes. And we talked about what it was to actually see from a perspective of heaven. That's what Elisha was praying. So the Bible says that when the servant opened his eyes, when God opened his eyes, the eyes of his spirit, the story says that he saw something in the spirit that he didn't see in the natural. In the natural, he saw a battle, but then the spirit, he saw victory surrounding the battle. That was the presence of God in that situation. And and what I want to do is I want to focus just on this servant just for a minute because there's something in this story that that I I didn't really touch on last week that I want to pick up on and then I want to pivot to these few verses that David says in Psalm. But a few weeks back, we were talking about, as we were discussing the foundations of our life and we discussed one of the most important foundations and that is knowing 
who God is. Remember that? Remember we talked about the nature of God and understanding the nature of who He is, that I have to build my life upon who He is, not what He does. Because sometimes He'll do things that I don't like. And that's where we bounce and turn off God. But if I understand who He is, and so we built that as a foundation. But I think in this story of Second Kings with this servant and the challenge that the servant has, I think this is a powerful story and I think it's so applicable to every single one of us because I think in this story and in these words that the servant is actually saying, I actually think the servant is asking a question that every single one of us are asking God at times in our lives. The servant was saying, to Elisha, when he ran up to Elisha and he was freaking out, because understand the servant knew who God was. The servant had been rolling with Elisha. He had seen God do great things. He knew that God was able. Elisha's servant, the servant's battle in this moment, in his mind, and the question that he had, it wasn't the question of God, who are you? but it was actually the question that I think all of us ask continually at times when we face challenges. It's not God, who are you? It's God, where are you? If we're to be honest, we don't wanna be honest because then if, we, if we're too honest then people will think that we're not as spiritual as we want everybody around us to really think. But I think many of us at times in our life and maybe right now regarding a situation you're facing, you're not asking God, who are you? You're asking God, Where are you? That's what the servant was saying. I know it's not written in there. It's it's under, if you look in, you've got to read in between the lines. But that's what he was saying. He rushed up to Elisha Elisha, and he's like, look at all this crap going on. What are we going to do? I know God's good, but where is he here? Have you got a situation in your life that you would say, yes, Ben, I get it. I know God's good. I know God's faithful, but where is God here? I see God in here. I see God in my family. I see God in my business. But where is He in my marriage? Or maybe you see Him in your marriage and you see Him in your kids, but you're facing financial challenges right now because of what's going on. And you see Him over here, but you don't see Him here. And I've found that life can change like that. And then you'll find Him over here. But then just when you find Him over here, you feel like you lose Him over here. And I think this is such an important question because what we actually do and the reason why I think too often we find ourselves in situations asking the question, God, where are you? Is because we have attributed the presence of God as being connected to results that we see in our life. Let let me explain. None of you are asking God, where are you in a situation that you love what's going on? Okay? Let's be honest. Like you're not chilling by a pool in Cabo, sipping an umbrella drink with your kids playing quietly off to the side while you've got your arms around your husband or wife sitting there saying, God, where are you? You're not, you're not. Those, Those are the moments Those are the moments that we're saying, God, you're so good. So see what we do? Maybe not you, but this is what I do. It's in the moments that look good, I declare that He is good. And in the moments that look crap, I 
mom say, God, where are you? Because we have connected God's presence to no problems. Do you understand where, where we're going here? And so what happens in this situation is Elisha and the servant are both standing there looking at the same thing, but both see something different. So can I put to you, because understanding this situation, they were both looking at the same thing, but also seeing something different. And as a result of what they saw, they were both feeling something different. Now, I know it's not about feelings, but go with me. The servant felt fear, but Elisha felt faith. How do they face How do they face the same situation but see something different? I want to put to you that maybe the fear that you feel is not because of what you face, but it's because of what you see when you face it. So that's what we're going to begin in the next few minutes to tackle this, this question of God, where, maybe you ask it like I ask it sometimes, God, where the heck are you? Where the heck are you? Maybe there's other words that you say that we can't repeat on Sunday. But tomorrow you'll say them. Because I think it's important that in church on Sunday, we have these honest conversations and we begin to talk about the things that we don't like to talk about too much when it comes to our Christian walk because we think God can't handle it. We think God can't handle our honest conversations and our honest questions. I want to show you some things and we'll begin with it and we may, maybe we'll have to head into next week and Keep going. But I want now, as, as we've sort of set up what we're going to really begin to tackle, I want to jump to Psalm 46 and verse 1. Because what David does is he gives us here some keys, if you like, as to how do I find him in the middle of turmoil? How do I find him? Because, because what we do is, and this is what I sort of want to put to you, is the things that you're facing in your life that you look at and cause you to ask the question, God, where are you? The situations that you would call bad, maybe God calls useful. That it's actually a different perspective that we have to see. And I know it's hard to hear when you're sitting in the middle of what you feel like is all hell and you're wondering how the heck can you talk about this thing being useful? But that's where you need to be reminded. And Romans talks about how God works all things for the good. So I want to put this to you and I'm not trying to minimise what people are going through, but I am saying Scripture does tell me That he works all things, which means, you know what all things means? It means all things. It means everything. It means the stuff that we hate, the stuff that we're cursing from the devil, the stuff that we say the devil sent to hold you back and stop you, the stuff we're praying about, the stuff that we're anointing oil over and we're binding in Jesus' name and we're cursing out of our life and cursing out of our family, the situations that you would do anything to go back and reverse. God says all things I'll use it. 
That's why he doesn't see it as bad. He sees it as useful because he said, I'm going to work with it. And David says this in Psalm 34, uh, Psalm 46, I'm sorry, in verse one. He says this, he says, God is our refuge and our strength. God is our refuge and our strength. David says, he's saying, God is my protector and my provider. So he's establishing who God is. Remember, he's talking about who God is. He's going to talk about in the next few verses about where God is. But first he's establishing, this is who I am. He's establishing in God as essentially he's reminding, or the psalmist is reminding himself right from the onset to not forget who God is in the middle of turmoil. When you're trying to look for Him, you've got to be reminded of who He is because if you don't know who He is, you won't know what you're looking for. So David's saying, he says, remember, God is my refuge and God is my strength. This is important for us to understand when it comes to finding God, that when you're in the middle of trouble and turmoil, what are you looking for? You're looking for those moments of refuge and those moments of strength and know that in those moments, that's God. Those little insignificant, and if you if you keep walking too fast or you blink, you'll miss it. But those moments where you sense just a little bit of peace, that's God. And it may seem like it's not enough. Think about a little bit of peace. It feels like it's not enough peace. How many would like more peace than you get sometimes? But God says that His grace is sufficient. He'll give you enough to get you through and enough to keep you hungering for more the next day. And he says, I'm, gonna, I'm your refuge, I'm your strength. So as you begin to walk through this trial and walk through this challenge, know this, that I will comfort you, that I will strengthen you. I started to think of Paul. Paul was one of those jokers that every time you read some of these verses, you almost wanna shake him and remind him that his life in the natural is falling apart. You read it. You read Ephesians chapter 1 of verse 17. Don't worry, we're about to right now. Chapter 1 of verse 17, Paul says this. Paul says this. Paul is in prison. Look at what this joker does. He says this, I prayed for you. Hang on. Hang, even that, this is where I love the Word of God. Sometimes you've got to just stop for a minute. Hang on, Paul. What? What? You're in prison. You're getting beat. You're facing potential execution and you're going to start talking about, I've been praying for you. I want to say, Paul, pray for yourself, bro. We're good. Talk about a perspective shift. We're all about us. Why do your problems seem so big and difficult that you can't get through? Because that's all you look at. We're in the Western world. Listen, I know you're going through stuff. And again, hear my heart. I empathise with every single challenge that every one of you are walking through and going through. And I'm praying for you. But I'm trying to give you some keys that will help shift your perspective to see that while right now it seems horrible, God is still in it. And if you would shift and start to look at others, you would see I'm a little more blessed. I'm a little more blessed. 
than I thought I was. I'm a little more blessed right here in Orange County than I thought I was. We're sitting out here under umbrellas, enjoying the sunshine of Orange County, listening to God's Word and great music. And I know you're going through stuff, but you're a little more blessed than you think you are. So Paul says this, he sits down in prison, bloodied, beaten, hungry, naked, locked up facing persecution. And he writes this to the church in Ephesus. I'm praying for you guys. And he says this, he says that the God of glory, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, listen to you, this is his prayer. May give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is, this, this is where it got me. What are you praying, Paul? In prison, what are you praying for the church? I'm praying that they get a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in knowing who God is. Hang on. You, you're not going to pray that, that they would avoid prison? I'm praying that they would get a spirit. Listen, if it was me, I'd be praying, God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation on, on how to pick locks in prison. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation on how not how to, how to avoid this place. This is bad. He says, no, no, no. He says, God, I'm praying that they get a deeper understanding of who you are. Because if they understand who you are, it won't matter where the enemy puts them. They will always be victorious because they've centred their life not upon what's going on around them, but upon the strength that is within them and an understanding of who God is. He says, he says I want them to know. I want them to know who they are, who God is. I want them to know, I'm sorry, who God is. That the eyes as we look in that perspective, that the eyes of their understanding would be open. That they would see it differently. It's the same prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. He said, Lord, if the church is going to be what the church is called to be, it's my prayer right now for us as a community and the church of Jesus Christ at large that He would help us to see with eyes of understanding in order for the church to be what the church needs to be right now in a broken, divided, unsettled time, more than history has ever known before. The church has got to see with eyes that understand not eyes that react. When you are watching the news, when you're looking at CNN and you're looking at Fox News and you're looking at that circus that was a debate, you've got to see with eyes of understanding. Not eyes that start to react and jump on Instagram, jump on Twitter, jump on Facebook and start getting at this person, start posting that and start attacking them and start attacking them and start attacking them. I want to look at the church and say, stop. Stop it. You're sowing, you're trying to fix disunity by sowing more disunity. 
Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Empathise with hurt that people have because as much as you may disagree with it, it may not be real for you, but it's real for them. And perspective is reality. And we're told to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And we need to have eyes of understanding that see what is going on beneath, beneath the surface of the outer. That we would know God and find God in the middle of these times that are so unsettled right now. For us as a society, maybe for you as an individual. And Paul teaches us this. I was, as I was, I was looking at that verse, and you know, often when I, when I I'll get like a, a verse or something, and, and I'll, I'll sit in it, you know, like, oh, so I go there in my mind. And I sit there, I'm looking and I'm thinking, Paul, you sit in prison. I prayed, I said, Lord, help me to have that perspective. Help me, that's a great prayer for you to pray. Lord, help me to see things. Challenges the way Paul does. He, this joker was untouchable. They, there was nothing that he drove the enemy nuts. There was nothing that they could do to him that would get him down. He just keep preaching. They would arrest him again and they'd let him out, threaten him, beat him, strip him, starve him, send him out, and he'd keep preaching. There was something within him that he just saw something that nobody else seemed to see. Everybody else saw what was going on around him, but Paul never saw it. I started as I was praying. I started asking Paul, I was like, Paul, what was going on, bro? Talk to me, man. Because I go through things in my life that are nothing like what you go through. And I find it difficult to keep perspective focused on God. And I said, I said Paul, what you, how did you get there? How did you get there? And I know I'm not, you know, don't email me saying you're preaching about praying to Paul, not Jesus. Listen, it's just where I'm at. It's where my mind sort of, how my mind sort of rolls. And I was saying to him, I said, Paul, how did you get there? Because that's where I want to get to. I, I, I wrestle with God sometimes because I'm like, God, I want to get to, get me to a place where I can be like that, where I can be untouched by what's going on around me and centered in my faith and speaking hope and speaking life and walking in the fullness of knowing who God is and experiencing and being tapped in to Him as my source and my strength, experiencing the peace of God. God, I want to get there. And so I asked Paul, I said, Paul, what happened, bro? And I felt the Holy Spirit say, to me and said, that happened, that didn't happen in prison. I felt like he'd speak to me and said, that happened in Damascus. And I started thinking, Damascus, what? And so I started looking and then so I flicked and I flicked back. And I remember when Paul got saved. Remember when Paul got saved? Paul was not always Paul. Paul used to be Saul, if you don't know. He was one of the greatest persecutors of the church. He would murder Christians. And Saul was going down the road and he had an encounter with God. The Bible says that the Lord showed up and a bright light shone. And what happened? Paul, Saul at the time, he lost his, his sight. And then, and then Paul... Saul, who became Paul, he then went for three days with no vision. And so that's what I started to see in the Spirit. And I felt like I started to catch it in the Spirit, that in that time when Paul was without vision in the natural, he was developing vision in the Spirit. 
that three days that we skip over and we think, man, that must have sucked. You can't see for three days. And then we just keep reading. But I felt like Paul, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 stop. Stop and think about those three days. Everything that Paul had valued, everything that he'd looked at, everything that he had determined, this is what's gonna make me. All the study that he had done, all of the things that he had achieved, he had gone some great places. All the travel, all of the trophies that he had, all of it amounted to nothing because now he can't see. He can't see. And for three days, Paul can't see. And during those three days, what did Paul learn? He learned that everything that he used to be able to see is actually insignificant compared to the revelation of knowing who Jesus is. That it was in those times when he couldn't see, when he couldn't see. It was in those times when he would sit and he would pray and he would say, Lord, show me. Lord, speak to me. Show me where my focus has gotten off. Show me, Lord God. Show me where I... And that was in those moments where Paul wrote that we walk by faith and not by... How did he write that? Because he knew it. He knew what it was to not have sight. And then when he finally got to that place, the Bible says that a dude named Ananias came and prayed for him and the scales were removed and he could now see. Took three days of darkness to get him there. You will be amazed at what you God will reveal to you, what the light will reveal in dark, difficult times if you would fix your perspective on who God is. But sometimes what we do is we can delay. We can delay the work that God wants to do by missing the fact that He's doing it in the dark. We can elongate, you can elongate those dark years and those battle years and those struggle years by not allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do because your future is bigger than what you realise and God wants you to be somebody that will see not in the eyes of the natural, but see in the Spirit. So sometimes he's got to allow everything in the natural to fall apart for us to come to a realisation that everything that I was depending on to hold me up will not hold me up except knowing Jesus. But we don't realise it. We don't realise it. You don't realise it. You don't realise it till it gets dark. I don't know it till it gets dark. I didn't know Jesus could, could, could walk on water in the middle of a storm until the storm came. That, that's why that, that story's so great with Paul again, another person who had to adjust his focus to see Jesus on the water walking in the middle of a storm. But the storm needed to be there to show me that He has power over it. David goes on and says this, and I'll, I'll finish. I'm yelling a lot, but... I felt tired last week. I feel good this week. I love this. This is God's my refuge and my strength, David said. He says that He is a very present help. What's the next word after help? I heard three people say it. What's the next word after help? In. Where is he? In. 
I'm so glad it doesn't say. That you'll find His help after trouble. He could have said that. He could have said, hang in there, endure, because I'll meet you at the end. He doesn't say that. I'm so glad it doesn't say, I'll be your ever-present help just before the trouble starts. But then I'm going to bounce. And you're on your own, bro. doesn't say that. He says, you're going to find an ever-present help. Where is God? He's in it. Where is He? He's in it. He's not waiting for it to finish. He's in it. The question is, what do you see? Because if you can find God in the middle of trouble, you will be amazed at how insignificant that trouble very quickly becomes. This, this song, for the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. What do you see? This, this word, this, this word, it says a very Present, that the word present interpreted it means this it means to find. So, the interpretation of this, this part of the verse it means that his help is something that I must find. Listen, listen, I hope you can catch this. Are you looking for him in your trouble? Or are you just cussing him out because you feel like he's not there? Because if you seek, you'll find. It's, it's, listen, I think we have to be reminded that our job in times of trouble is not to just get through it. Your job is to find Jesus in it. Because if you can find Jesus in it, you won't worry about the trouble that comes because you'll recognise that the Jesus you just found in the middle of your trouble is greater than the trouble itself and the devil can throw whatever the hell he wants to at you and you'll still give God glory because you understand. So, so, so listen. He says this. Another verse I'm going to finish. Psalm 34 and verse 3. David says this, because again, I asked David, I asked David, I'm like, bro, talk to me. Talk to me, David. I mean, these verses, I get it, and I'm going to preach it, but man, how do you do it? Psalm 34 verse 1, he said this. He said, this is how I did it, Ben. He said, magnify the Lord. Look at this with me. Magnify, it means to, means to make bigger. Where does your faith get sucked dry so quickly is you minimise what God has done in your life and then wonder why your faith isn't greater. 
David said, magnify the Lord. Make, make the things that God has done in your life bigger. And then he said this, he says, do it. Listen, he says, let's do it together. Listen, catch what he's saying. This is so important when it comes to community. This is why we do small groups because there is so much power in magnifying the Lord with me. So you know what it is? It's, it's, and there's different people in my life that, that I'll do this at times with. And, and it's getting alongside someone. And it says, hey, I'm going to, let me tell you about something. Look at this, look at this. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about a time when God blessed me. God blessed me, I remember it. Now, I, I, I wasn't thinking of it before, but now that I focus on it for a moment and I take a moment and I stop and I think about it for a moment and now I'm gonna magnify it. At the time, it seemed like nothing because life was busy, but I stopped for a minute and I remember when I felt like I wasn't gonna get any of those bill paid, bills paid. And now I look back and I think, did that and it's not big you think a bill's paid bro I'm facing bigger things than that watch what will happen when you magnify the Lord with me and then I say bro what did you what did God tell you and then he starts saying I remember now now I wasn't thinking of it either but now you're talking about bills I remember let me tell you a story we were down to our last we couldn't get that rent check paid and then I say to him, rent check. Now you made me remember something. You keep finishing your story. He says, well, let me skip to it. God paid it. God did. Now you said rent check. Now I remember something else. I remember when we couldn't find a house. We couldn't find a house. Chris and I, we were looking for rent. We wanted to rent a house. We're looking, 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 driving, driving, driving. Chris has got specific tastes. Pray for me. And, and, and we found a house. We found a house, we found a house. We walked in and she said, this is it. I said, all right, I looked at the, 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 you know, the agent and he told me the price and I said, babe. It's too much. And I don't know what we just felt. Maybe I'm a sucker, call me what, but I felt let's just, let's fill out the application. Agent rings me about five days later. He said, bro, he literally said this. He says, I'm going to tell you something that I have never, ever had happen once in my whole entire life as a real estate agent. I said, what? He said, I sent in your application and, and, and the owners Googled your names and sermons started to come up on YouTube. And they started watching sermons and God started to speak to them. And they came back to me and they said, tell them whatever they were paying in their last place that we will give it to this place, which was double the size, not a unit, but a house with a yard for the same price. Tell them we're going to take care of it. Listen, you know what? God did it. God did it. And listen, listen. Listen, what happens is when we do that, you start magnifying. You look back at your life and start giving God credit for every good thing. Listen to me. And people will think, well, 
We think of things, we say, oh, come on, Ben. I mean, you just, you're giving God credit for good things, blaming the devil for bad things. Exactly. Because God has been so good to me and so faithful to me that every single good thing that has happened in my life, even if God didn't do it and it was just life playing cards my way that felt right, I'm still gonna give God glory because I love Him that much. Even if it wasn't Him that did it, I'm gonna praise Him anyway and I'm gonna magnify because magnify means to make bigger. I would drive around a parking lot. I wouldn't drive when I was a kid. My mum would drive around the parking lot. And my mum would pray for everything. I mean everything. It would drive me nuts as a kid. Every other, every other kid's parents would find a parking spot by driving around and waiting for someone else to pull out. It's normal, mum. Not my mum. My mum drive around that parking spot praying in the Spirit like she's believing for cancer to leave. Like drive around, believe for a park. I'm like, Mum, Mum, it's a freaking parking spot. And then you know what happened? A car will pull out. A car will pull out. I'll be like, oh dear Lord, here we go. Oh God, I give you praise. And she listened, listen. She stuck. She'd pull in the parking, parking space. I'll be like, Mum, it wasn't God. They just finished shopping and left. That's all that happened. And I remember her saying this and I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, no, that's not how it happened. She said, God did it. And I didn't listen at the time. At the time, I didn't get it. I just got frustrated. But now as I grew up and I know my mum's story that my mum grew up with an alcoholic dad and an absent mum and for half her teenage years was sexually abused by somebody that she would eventually grow up, study, get saved, marry a godly man, raise four kids that all love Jesus, grandkids that all love Jesus, become a psychologist and serve God, that she was in a place where she was gonna say, you know what, even if God didn't do it, I'm gonna give Him glory for things that maybe He didn't do, but I'm going to magnify them anyway because in every other area of my life He's been good and faithful. God did it. God did it. God did it. God saved me. God set me free. God did it. I didn't set myself free. God did it. It wasn't self-help. It wasn't just discipline. It wasn't just focus. God did it. God put me and my wife together. God gave me two amazing kids, a three and a two-year-old, when the doctor said that Luca would have a cyst on his brain and there was a marker for Down syndrome. And we prayed and the nurse came back and said, it's gone completely. God did that. I didn't do that. The doctors didn't do it. God did it. And that when we would walk into our house when Leo was six days old and that she would stop breathing on the bed and my wife would scream out and the paramedics would come and the police officers would come and the firemen would come and she would be resuscitated there. They didn't do it. God did it. And if God did it before, then God will do it again. He did it yesterday. He's doing it today. And He's going to do it again tomorrow. I need someone in this place right now to give God praise for something. Find something small and insignificant maybe and magnify the Lord with me. 
Because God did it. 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 I feel like preaching. God did it. 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 Where is he? He's right in the middle. He's right in the middle. Where did they hang that cross? Right in the middle. He's right in the middle. He's not waiting for you to get through it. He's in the middle of it. Magnify the Lord. God did it. I want to do something. Our time is gone. I want you to get your communion cups. They didn't put that cross. He shouldn't have been in the middle. When they put up that cross, He shouldn't have been. When I look at the cross and I remember who He is and I know that on either side there were criminals. There were criminals. Part of me, listen, part of me wants to move that cross and put it somewhere else. Part of me wants to say, Jesus, if you're going to die, don't die in the middle of two people that deserve it. But he said, no, no, we're going to do it in the middle to remind the people of God that when you feel like you're going through all hell, you're going to find Him right in the middle. For those of you that don't know Jesus, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I appreciate those of you that are in the sun. But can we give people an opportunity real quick to receive Jesus? If you don't know Him, the the story of blind Bartimaeus, another story of somebody that was in the dark, And Jesus was walking past and He yelled out. Remember the story, He yelled out. And I was asking the Lord, and I I got in the mind of one Bartimaeus. I thought, why did He yell out? Why did He? He's the only one we read about that yelled out for Jesus. And this is what I heard. I heard it just say, just because He got sick of the darkness. He got sick of it. He got so fed up with where he was. He got, he got so fed up with people failing him. He got so fed up with trying to put his hope in tangible things. He just got sick of it. And I felt the Holy Spirit as I was praying say, there's people that are gonna come today that have been trying to find fulfilment in the world trying to find fulfilment in tangible things, whether it's your career, whether it's your study, whether it's areas of addiction, where you're trying to find peace in it and that peace is just momentary. And I believe that there are people here and you're just sick of it. 
You're sick of having that moment of peace and they're waking up the next day. And while it did help for a moment, anyone that'll tell you it won't help has never done it before. It helps. It just doesn't last. There's people here that you're sick of it. You're sick of chasing tangible things. You've got now the career. You've got the house. You've got the car. But there's still unfulfillment. And you're sick of it. You're sick of trying to chase things in a relationship that you should be getting for God. And as a result, you keep choosing bad partners that just mess you over. And you're sick of it. You've been seeking fulfillment and peace and hope in all of these temporary, random temporary, temporary, tangible things. And you're sick of it. This is where blind Bartimaeus was. And he yelled out to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here in this place and you say, Ben, that's me. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of trying to do life on my own. I'm sick of carrying the hurt and the pain. I'm sick of feeling bound. I'm sick of depending on things that I see in the natural to try and give me some sort of fulfillment. I'm sick of it. That's you on the count of three. I want you to raise your hand real high so I can see it. One, two, three. Raise it up right across this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I know what it's like to get sick of it. I got so sick of it. I got so sick of it. Day in and day out just caught in this rut of brokenness, this rut of dysfunction. I got so sick of it. But this Word of God says, if you draw near to Him, then He will draw near to you. And that's what you're doing. You're drawing near. I want to lead you in this prayer real quick. We're going to finish. Pray this with me. Everyone here is going to pray it with you as well. Say with me, say, Dear Jesus, you see my heart and you know my hurt. And I'm sick of it. I surrender my life to You. I don't wanna try and do life on my own anymore. I wanna invite You into my heart to come and be my Lord and to be my Saviour. I surrender my life to You and I make a decision that I'm gonna live my life for You from this day onward with You as my Lord, as my Saviour, and as my friend, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Can we give God praise for every person? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.